Okay, hello and welcome back to Genuinely Let. Yes, I'm talking British because <laughs> I'm a moron. No, because we are doing Romeo and Juliet. And my friend Megan is here. Welcome, Megan. Good morning to you. <laughs> Even though it's 1230, it kind of feels like morning. It still feels like morning. Doesn't it? A little bit. Um, because Megan and I are actually up at school. Uh, Megan is one of my uh, lovely co-workers and colleagues who has agreed to step in with me and take care of this beast-o novel. <laughs> that was Midnight Sun. Um, it's huge. It was like 658 pages. I know. I noticed when I pulled down the Audible, I was like, holy crap, how long am I going to be listening to this thing? <laughs> I know, right? Um, okay. So, but before we get into all those deets, um, it's a little background. Um, you know, I hope we know. Stephanie Meyer, um, she actually, obviously, if you don't know, Midnight Sun is a retelling of Twilight, but it is from Edward's perspective. Um, and, you know, just to kind of give backstory, if you don't know, I mean, I mean, I feel like there's people that live under a rock and don't know what Twilight is, but, but basically Stephanie Meyer actually got the dream. She had a, got a dream, um, or had a dream, um, about sparkly vampires in a meadow. <laughs> and, and that's kind of was the birth of Twilight and, um, you know, Twihards probably know that she actually released mid or was trying to release Midnight Sun back in 20, uh, 2008, rather. Um, and several chapters ended up getting leaked online. And so she ended up shelving it, pun intended, scrapped the whole thing. Um, and she ended up telling the New York Times actually back in August when this book was released that the timing of this uh, right now was just, it was simple because she finished it. <laughs> and and literally like at the back of the book, when she does her acknowledgements, I mean, she talks about how like, it was like the beast, literally, like I said, the beast of a book, you know, to write um, because she spent so much time uh, dealing in Edward's vampire anxiety <laughs> And she kind of said that that was her biggest struggle. Like in the article, she said that was one of the struggles that she had was um, she didn't realize how how anxious Edward was until she spent time writing it from his perspective. Um, and so, which which kind of lends itself, you know, like I talk a lot about, and we will get into that, but I talk a lot about, um, you know, when we relate characters to today and like sort of what does that look like in today's like people? Mm -hmm. Um, and so we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit, but, um, before we kind of get into the character stuff, you know, we already kind of talked about that, that Twilight was kind of a re or Midnight Sun is a retelling of Twilight. But the other thing is that both Megan and I teach English one. And so, what a better thing to compare. Oh, sweet Romeo. <laughs> sweet, sweet, misguided Romeo. Isn't he misguided? Okay. Oh. So misguided. And, it, like, it's just so funny. Um, you know, when we get to, like, well, we, we finished. I don't, did you guys finish Act 3 yet? 
Yeah, because they're doing it over asynchronous. Okay, so they're doing, yeah, we have asynchronous learning, which is a day basically where kids, they don't do Zooms or do anything, but they just learn on their own and we give them an assignment. And so basically, um, you know, everybody's kind of at act three right now. And so we know that's sort of the climax, basically the point of no return. And, um, you know, people die mm -hmm. in act three. Um, but, you know, one of the things, you know, we're going to kind of dig here into Romeo in just a second. But when we look at Twilight, obviously, it's not hard to see, you know, there's influence there, right? I mean, for sure. And, you know, you look at, you know, and I've talked a lot about illusions in this podcast and previous podcasts. And, you know, actually all of the Twilight books are alluded to from previous other romantic novels. Right. And current ones. Oh, yeah. And current series, too. And so, like, like for instance, Twilight um, is actually an illusion of Pride and Prejudice. Um, you know, you have sort of that flighty female who falls for the brooding dude, right? And so there's just that that hint of that there. Um, and then like new moon, new moon, you know, towards the end is where you see that Romeo and Juliet kind of mm -hmm. come to life with, you know, where he, sure. where he makes that sacrifice and he wants to die because he thinks his love is dead. Tainted secret love. Yes. Um, and then, you know, there's also hints of, you know, Eclipse, we kind of get into Wuthering Heights where the, with the love triangle, you know, where it really comes into play. Um, and then, you know, and then in Breaking Dawn, you know, that also, that alludes to Midsummer's Night's Dream and Merchant of Venice. Um, and it's kind of like this whole idea where, you know, Alice in Breaking Dawn, um, Alice, who is Edward's sort of vampire sister, uses her wit to kind of outsmart the Volturi. And so that's where you see sort of the Merchant of Venice um, come into play. Um, and so, like, when we get into Midnight Sun, you know, like I said, it's from Edward's point of view. And we're going to mostly stick with comparing Edward to Romeo because, you know, I mean, that because of the fact that, that it's Midnight Sun and it's from Edward's point of view. Um, we're not going to talk much about Bella and Juliet um, just because that this book is strictly from Edward's point of view. So that's where we're going to stay. But we're also going to talk a little bit about Christian Grey. Oi. <laughs> Oi. Um, I, I haven't talked to you about this before yet. Oh, okay. But I think maybe we should also mention Discovery of, of Witches, which is Deborah Harkness's okay. uh, take on witches and vampires. Nice. So, and there's brooding there too. Okay. Yeah. The vamps got the brood happening for show. Um, you know, but Christian Grey, you know, he, he kind of, well, again, I keep saying this, we'll talk about it a little bit later, <laughs> but, um, you know, he kind of represents the more, I don't, I don't want to say the more, the, the more realistic version of, of this character arc, I guess, or right. this type of character, because you're going to see somebody like Christian more in society. I mean, in some capacity, I mean, we're going to talk about why you probably won't see the end result in the real life. Because <laughs> that doesn't really happen like that usually. No, no, not ever. Um, but, um, but you know, we are going to kind of dive into that. But we're going to start with Romeo. Since he was kind of, you know, if you will, the first out of these these dudes. Um, 
And so, you know, it's just interesting how like Romeo's name, just the just the name. It just be it just like brings all this romance. Like, yes, oh, he's so romantic. Yes, such a tragic love story. <laughs> and then you sit here with your students and you're telling them things, and they're like, "They what? Yeah, they've been they've known each other how long? Yeah, yes." So crazy. And then, like, literally at the beginning of the story, he's totally in love with someone else. He is in love with Rosaline. <laughs> like, totally in love with somebody else. And so his plan, you know, is to go to this party, which Juliet ends up being at. But his purpose in going to the party has nothing to do with Juliet. It's to go hook up with Rosaline. And so despite the fact that his bros are kind of like, dude, let's go find you another girl at this party. You know, he still seems pretty convinced that he's going to go try to woo Rosaline right. over. Right. And, but then he spots Juliet from across the room and suddenly he's smitten dickin. It's like what I like to say. <laughs> right. Like this total, total meet, meet cute situation. Oh right? yeah. Total. And it's like, and he literally says, did my heart love to know? For swear it saw it, no asshole tribute to tell this night. And I'm just like, really? Because you were just coming to the party. Right. Which he gets corrected on about multiple times by different characters. For sure. I mean, coming to the party for a different girl. And so then that, and actually it was funny because when we did a Socratic yesterday, one of my girls, um, she's like, is Juliet the side chick? Is she the rebound chick? Right. Isn't she? Is she? Right. And then my my kids, my males are saying, he's a simp. Like, <laughs> yes, he is a simp. Oh, my. Okay. Well, it makes me happy that kids are kind of recognizing that. And they don't look at this story as like this romantic piece of... No, because I mean, they're all so shocked. Yeah. Literally, what happens in 36 hours yes. in this story? Like, they can't they can't figure out what's... Like, how is this possible? Yeah. Of course, they don't run into each other and meet new people at parties anymore because of COVID. Right. And it's not like a kid would walk up to someone else and, and say hello. They would text each other. But mm -hmm. that's beside the point. Yeah. Yep, for sure. And... I guess, I mean, and I just think it's an, that's an interesting idea that maybe Juliet was really the rebound chick and she just got caught up in his BS and mm -hmm. got caught up in his unrequited, like, I can't get over this other girl, so I'm going to get the next best girl. Well, and the other thing is, I don't know, and maybe it's just something I never caught, I don't think Juliet's dated before, so she has no comparison. True story. Like, she's, what, 13? Yeah, 12, she's 12, 13 because she hasn't reached 14 summers Oh, yet. that's right. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so yeah, she's 13. And so, like, to me, that's what makes him even worse, that that he's literally sort of taking advantage of this 13-year-old girl. And despite the fact that, yes, they did that back then. Back then it was a different time, and, and they married at very young ages. Right. and Right. I mean, it's just like I had a student ask me today, and I forgive me for those of you who don't know how the story of Romeo and Juliet <laughs> ends, but... I had a student ask me, look at me straight faced and said, they get divorced, right? <laughs> In a matter of speaking, I guess. And he's like, but wait, they weren't allowed to do that, right? Yeah. Yeah. But but a man was able to, yeah. 
Oh. Where are we going with this? Where are we going with this? Okay, yeah. I mean, because here's the thing. I mean, passion and, and obsession run very closely together at times. Right. I mean, I'm also teaching Gatsby right now. Oh, so goodness. talk about Great Gatsby. Talk about passion wow. and obsession. Uh, like longevity passion and obsession. Yeah. I mean, years over I the mean, span of years. Right. Like it takes, it takes Romeo like 36 months. It takes Gatsby like, thir- or it takes Romeo 36 hours. It takes Gatsby like 48 months. <laughs> or really years if you want to think about it yeah. because of the love that he had for Daisy like way before that. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's, it's like, crazy. that is crazy. Um, I mean, and then like, you know, when we get into act two and we get into the scene, the balcony scene, and he's like, you know, lots of girls were like, dude, he's stalking her, you know, like he's hearing, cause like there's the moment where she's kind of talk or, you know, he's talking by himself and he's having this, well, technically an aside, um, because she's there on stage with him. And so she's kind of standing there and he's, you know, like saying all these things and then, like, he literally, like, one of the first things he says, he says, be not her maid since she is envious. Her vestal livery is but sick and green and none but fools do wear it. Cast it off. So let me kind of break that down for peeps that don't know Shakespeare. Uh, he basically saying that she should stop being a virgin. Yeah. <laughs> my, one of my students the other day, he said, well, Shakespeare's obsessed with sex. He and sure I, is. I refer to him as Billy Shakes. I said, yeah, Billy Shakes for sure. <laughs> I love, I, I, I suck all of Will Shakes, but yeah, that's so funny. You know, Billy Shakes for sure. I mean, any more euphemisms for a penis for crying out loud? Seriously, and a, or a vagina. Mm. Um, so it just seems to me like Romeo is overly obsessed with beauty and experienced sex. I mean, which is just very odd that he would think this 13-year-old girl would even remotely be in the realm of that. So it, it's just, it's it's all a red flag to right. any person that like has, has, you know, been around men and, and like been in this kind of situation. No right girl in their right mind is going to be like, let's go with yeah. this dude. Yeah. All right. Although if you're dating online, it seems to be an expectation. <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about that. Okay. Good. We are going to talk about it. Okay. Because I have stories. <laughs> and I know that you do too. I know you do too. Um, okay. So the one thing that, that I, you know, we do kind of see, you know, a redeemable thing about Romeo is that, you know, he is very loyal to his friends. For and sure. For sure. You know, and he obviously defends Mercutio in Act 3, you know, by killing Tybalt. But, I mean, obviously doing an action that is against the law as well. Um, And so, like, it shows the passion. But I I still feel like, you know, if we're going to kind of take him into a context of, like, modernized society, I feel like he's kind of narkish a little bit. Oh, sure. Because he's so obsessed with, with beauty and he's so obsessed with, like, you know, sex and like all of these things that. Well, and that's something else my kids don't get. Like, th- I think they understand the idea of loyalty, but this, they keep asking me, why is Tybalt so angry? Well, he crashed the Montague party or the Capulet party. Yeah. Of course he wants to do in Romeo. They're like, why is that such a big deal? Like they haven't fully grasped. 
Yeah. Because they don't do that anymore unless, unless, you know, there's some other culture going around establishing territories. Right. Yep. True story. Um, so I guess like, you know, I mean, when, so then when you kind of bleed into Edward, um, I think Edward is, you know, he's very similar to Romeo in that he's obviously super obsessed <laughs> with Bella a little bit. But the thing that Midnight Sun does that I thought, you know, was really cool though, is that you, you see his intentions. And I feel like when you see Edward's intentions, I feel like it's a different story because yes. you don't see, like when you read Twilight, I mean, it's all like, you, you you definitely, you know, get the hint of like, dude, he's stalking her. He's like following her. He's like sneaking in her room and doing all this stuff. Right. But it's all underlaid under this whole flight of fancy that she has. Yes. Right. About this perfect. Yes. Which is kind of like Julie, our friend Julia. Yes. Like, oh, everything's lovely. And oh, he loves me so much. And he's gorgeous. And, and, he's I, gorgeous. and there is a bit of insecurity with her because she does say, how could this gorgeous specimen love me? How could this perfect being mm-hmm. like, like me, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. Which I don't feel like is the best model for young girls. No, for sure. <laughs> um, to sort of evaluate because, you know, and, and of course the story is fiction. You know, obviously the story is fiction. Blech, you know, but we're, what we're trying to do is sort of take these characters, you know, aside from the vampire thing, obviously, you know, into, you know, what would that look like in the real world? And, you know, it's interesting you know, because like I said, intentions, I think as a society, we spend a lot of time, you know, asking questions and focusing on, you know, like why somebody did something or no, we, we focus on the outcome rather than asking them exactly. why they why did they what they did. did. Well, because like, look at our culture right now. It's like cancel wanna... culture, ser- like all oh, over. Yeah. Like we we don't want to we don't seek to understand each other anymore. No, in you're fact, right. the fact that we don't care that deeply about each other anymore plays into that too. I would agree. Um, and so, like, I think in Twilight, you know, we see Bella's POV, and it's super easy to jump to that conclusion that Edward's the stalker. Um, but like I said, I think you know, Midnight Sun provides that perception that's, you know, that that. You, you 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 just know his intentions aren't what what you think they are, and really, you know, it's about getting used to her scent mm-hmm. so he can be around her. Yeah, and that's why that he does what he does is because he wants her in his life, but he's also he know he's very self aware and he knows exactly like what the monster he is. But he's he wants to make it work, but he wants to do what's best for her, which is completely different than Romeo. Right, right. But they do both share that kind of, they've both been around the block a little. True. Where both Bella and Juliet are kind of, you know, they're kind of still new and they have all this. And they, they walk in and they take advantage of that. Yeah. You know, this is not for sure. I mean, how old is Edward? I mean, for crying out loud. 200 and something. For all the girls I've loved before, <laughs> let me make a list. Yeah. Well, and then like you get the, the Midnight Sun, I mean, you know, he, he, he does, there are moments where he's, or there is a moment where he says, you know, that he had lost hope of finding the person that like 
Esme is to um, Carlisle. Right. And Alice is to Jasper. And, you know, Rose is to Emmett until her. And so there's this whole idea then where, because when you look at it, you know, from the outset, you have this girl. Well, you have this guy who is attracted to this girl and he can't have her. Mm -hmm. And so that's really the whole idea and the whole like, if we're going to kind of pull it into, you know, now and or pull it into something that's real and tangible, that's legit what it is. Right. Right. For sure. Um, and so like really the three big scenes that I felt like kind of showcased these like internal things the most, like the differences was the biology scene, like the biology class scene. Um, and so I actually got the book Twilight out, <laughs> like as I was reading it and just looked at it side by side, you know, to kind of see. Um, and it was just interesting because like Bella, bo both of them talk about how they felt an electric current when they touched each other. But it's just different because, you know, Bella, when she talks later, talks about obviously his cold, the cold electricity, whereas his, it's the warm. And so it's just, for me, I think it's just kind of cool to see like just the polar opposites kind of go through and how they come together, right. you know, sort of at the end of the story. Right. Um, but Edward's like super paranoid that he slips up you know, by telling, by revealing certain things. Um, and he's super nervous too, because sh he's, she's literally the only person that he can't read her thoughts. And Edward, that's his gift as a vampire is that he can read thoughts. And Bella's thoughts are the only ones that he can't read. So then it becomes that much more of kind of an obsession for him. Like, why can't I hear her thoughts? And then, um, you know, and then he ends up trying to figure things out by listening to other people's thoughts, you know? And so, um, I don't know, it's interesting. But he, but like I said, I mean, Edward's pretty self-aware and he's overly anxious about his choices and how they're going to impact Bella, um, which actually isn't narkish. I mean, that is not a narc trait. Right. Um, because that shows empathy. Um, and so... Actually, you know, the, the, I feel like the text provides and, and displays more empath qualities out of Edward than um, the narc qualities. Because there's a moment where he says, Carlisle has a theory. He believes that we all bring something of our strongest human traits with us into the next life. Where they are intensified like our minds and our senses. He thinks that I must have already been sensitive to the thoughts of those around me. Right, and is that is that sensitive or just being empathetic? Well, I I mean, as as deep as he seems to brood, I feel like it's empath. I think. I so mean, too. I think he's like I think he's male empath. Yeah. Um, but like when I read Twilight, I see narc, and that's right. what's interesting because you read it from a girl's perspective. Right. But when you read it for or read it from his perspective, it's just different. Right. Um, Which I think is so important in understanding yes. in terms of point of view. Yes, between men and women. Oh my goodness, between Mars men and, and women. Venus. And like, and that's what's so interesting when you read these books is like, you see what he's thinking. You're like, dang it, why didn't she pick up on that? Or, or like, he's he's saying this, and you're like, 
why didn't she see this? Or, you know, like one of the, like all these little moments right. that happen like that. Um, okay. The meadow scene is another scene. Um, and, and I have to bring up the movie with this because the movie is just trash. I'm telling you. I was so disappointed in, on so many levels with the movies. Just so disappointed. I mean, and I'm well. So Megan and I have kind of talked about this offline. So she does not like Edward, or I, I was going to say well, Robert, Edward, I don't Robert like, Pattinson. No. Okay, I was kind of in love with Robert Pattinson. I'm not going to lie. Like I found him so hot. I found him scrawny. Okay, well, yeah, you're right. He is. But I here's the thing. You read the books before the movies came out. I though. did. Okay. See, I did not. And I the movies came out. And I had already had sort of him in my mind when I read the books. So if you were to pick an actor, a different actor to portray Edward, who would it be? Oh, my. Is that a hard question? See, I imagine him more like, I can't think of his name right now, but the guy that played Jon Snow. Oh, okay. On, on Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, I'm sure like... Why can't I? I'm brain farting right now. I can't think of his right either. But, you know, so just... And and this is something we talked about. We talked about this effeminate part of of uh, of our friend Edward Kit Harrington. Yeah, Kit Harrington. Um, I pictured him just just that much more stronger. Okay. Whereas I didn't believe the strength of Robert Pattinson. Of Robert Pattinson. I I can I can see that for sure because I'm gonna tell you what. I watched Twilight, and when I saw when I watched that meadow scene, I was like, "This is bullshit!" Yeah. <laughs> like it was just terrible. I mean, because like there there's a playfulness that these characters have with one another, and it does not show up in the movie. I mean, not at all. In not the all. in the meadow scene, I mean, it's like really serious and like and like just yeah, very brute. Like the whole scene is brutish. Yeah. And it is just not like that in the book at all. No, it's not. And I just was like, this sucks. Um, and, and like, it's just interesting, kind of like I said, because like in this scene, the meta scene, you, if you read kind of back and forth between the books, um, you get more glimpses into Edward's insecurity and humor. Um, but because like Bella doesn't really seem too terribly scared because like the, in this moment, he's taking her to show her like, his his basically sparkly vampire body <laughs> and so he's he's taking her into this meadow and it looks right. like he's taking her to kill her <laughs> right and it's like the two different you know the, what you read with reading before the movie like in my mind that sparkly was kind of like you know when you see god or someone portrayed in the movies and it's just a glow like, oh. You know, whereas really in the movie, it looks like he just got, you know, was wearing glue and walked through the glitter bin at Michael's, <laughs> you know, or like covered in that nail polish that's all sparkly. Yeah. Oh, like yours. Oh. It's so sparkly. You can't see it, but it hurt nail polish is sparkly. So it's just, but for that to be his entire, like, yes, walking layers of shimmer. <laughs> walking layers of shimmer. I love it. I mean, because, like, it, it, what's so funny is, like, because he says something, he says something, kind of, I can't, I don't know if I pulled it up, but it, there's a part where he says that he's talking about the path that he's about to lead her, and he's like, yeah, it's dark, and then something about, and he says murder, or he makes a comment, but it's, like, to the audience that, like, right. it, like oh, it's an opportunity for murder, 
So it's kind of funny. I mean, he he's, he doesn't want to murder her. No. But every once in a while, you see these little thoughts <laughs> where he like makes a comment about I could murder her. Well, and and I can't believe I didn't think of this before. But oh my god, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. Oh yes. Like he doesn't, you know. Yes. That moment where they have sex and all of a sudden he becomes evil again. Yes, and loses his humanity. Oh my good night. Same thing. You know, like he knows that this that something bad could come. But he, he's so wrapped up in her. I know. I love that show. I'm super sad about Joss Whedon, by the way. Uh-huh. Complete diversion from that. Okay. Um, I I love that. Yes. So true. But it's just interesting because Bella is so focused on the fact that she seems to be in the presence of a man that is not going to accept her. And that's what's going through her mind because she says, how in the world does this godlike creature could be meant for me? Like that's what's in her mind as they are walking through the forest that he's thinking about, you know, like I could murder her if I wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> like that kind of thing. It's like all those memes on Facebook where the the girl and the boyfriend are walking by and there's a pretty girl that walks and the guy looked her. Oh yeah. And there's always something different about that. Yeah. Funny. And then really like the next, the other scene, you know, is the ballet studio scene. And that's kind of like that pinnacle moment where at the end of the the book, the story, um, basically there is a tracker vampire that has, decides to track Bella. And, um, and so they, they basically devise this whole scene where she's going to pretend like she's running away and she's going to go to where her mom lives, I think in Arizona. And so long story short, the tracker ends up tracking her there into the ballet studio that she was in, that she used to be go to when she was a kid. And so there's this big old showdown where the vampire, um, the tracker vampire attacks Bella and sucks some of her blood. And then, Edward, Carlisle, and Alice and Emmett are, you know, feverishly trying to keep her from turning. Mm-hmm. And so there's this whole moment. And, 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 I, and I guess I felt like it was super important because, again, you're seeing, like, I feel like Edward's selflessness because he doesn't want to turn her. No, he doesn't. He does not want her to be like him. Yeah. Sure. He wants better for her. And even though he knows that, he may not be able to spend the rest of his life with her, you know, the way that a normal traditional couple would. I don't, to me, that speaks of love. Like it speaks of love. Right. Like he doesn't want her to have to suffer. Yes. With the, with the potential loneliness or anything else that comes with being immortal. True. But then it kind of makes me think a little bit though, who is it? Who is he? Mm -hmm. Who is he? To make that decision. Yes. To make that decision for her. And so then that kind of lends itself into, you know, yes, maybe that's love, but is that love when you're not? Well, and, and to me, it's, it goes, well, is it love or is it possession? Okay. Yeah. Right. So like this idea, and, and this goes back to our friends, Romeo and Juliet, you know, this idea that she, um, who is choosing for who, who she gets to marry. Like when her dad comes in and says, Hey, you're going to marry Paris when she's already kind of already married to Romeo, you know, this idea who gets to control her fate, 
which goes is Bella, which is Buffy, which is, you know, and I would, I really would have wanted, we were talking, you were talking about female characters. I want her to be stronger than, than I read her as being. Yes. I agree. I agree. Juliet gets off the hook because she's young. Yeah, I agree. Or younger. So when we kind of move into the real world, um, you know, I think I've already mentioned this. Edward feels more empath. Um, and, you know, and like when we're talking about these, you know, I'm not talking about like abusive behavior. So like if somebody repeatedly treats you like shit and their actions would be enough to assess their character, I mean, Obviously, that should be a time where you're going to set boundaries um, for that important relationship. And it's something that these stories don't explore. I mean, they don't explore boundaries. And so that's definitely something I think that takes it off the table in terms of, oh, is Edward like this really great boyfriend? No. No, he can't be. No. Um, and and I think that that's really important because like when when we have these young girls, particularly that read these stories... And, and it's very romanticized. Mm -hmm. It's very, um, you know, very romanticized. And I know for me in my own life, um, for a long time, I thought it was my job to heal wounded men. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> and, you know, and just, you know, whether that was, you know, romantically or even in a friendship, you know, it was just constantly, I felt like it was my duty. Um, to help these, these men. And so just in the last year, I mean, for me, I've done a lot of soul work on how to establish boundaries, um, not just with men, but friendships and family. And it's kind of disappointing that it doesn't really address that. I mean, I get it's a YA novel, but I also feel like there's a certain level of responsibility. Right. Well, and it's in a YA novel, but I think if you actually looked at the readership, like I was in my twenties when I read it, I was true. I was already married. Yeah. So I think maybe it's not just those young girls, but it's women overall. It's how we portray that relationship that we have with men and other people that you just don't set those boundaries. Right. I mean, and yeah, exactly. And so like when you come in and so like when we, that, that kind of enters into to Christian Grey. Um, because, you know, I think so. I know I read, when I read Fifty Shades, I was like, I don't like that. Like, who doesn't want to marry a hot, rich guy that's really good in bed? Like, <laughs> like come on. Um, but, you know, like, he's hot, he's rich. And we, and we find out, yeah. though, that he craves Anna because she's essentially the opposite of him. Right. Kind right. of like in that same way that Edward craves Bella because of her blood. Well, I think I had the problem, like, I was telling... I was telling her earlier that I hadn't read Fifty Shades because I couldn't get my mind into it. It's because, <laughs> and I was just thinking about this now, the reason I couldn't get into it was because I already had a master's degree in criminal justice and I'd studied domestic violence. So the fact, what pissed me off so much about Christian Grey, like, sure, we want a wealthy dude that'll spoil the hell out of us. Who wouldn't? But the fact that he was so damn possessive of her. Yeah. Just well, me so angry. And it's also, again, about the intention, because you find out that Christian Grey um, is, you know, he's a sadist. Yeah. And and the reason he's a sadist is because he was abused. Right. And that's the truth. And and so, you know, like, I'm all for kink, you know, like, who doesn't sure. like a little kink in their life? Sure. But there's healthy kink. <laughs> 
and there's mentally unstable kink, right. like where you're doing it specifically because you're messed up. Right, right. And there's you like, don't. There's like playfulness, and then there's like seriously bad mental health issues. Yes, and I feel like those two are are, are, are different. But again, it's a line. It's a fine line. Um, and so like when you get kind of, you know, I kind of feel like, and I've said, I think I said this earlier that I kind of feel like Christian Gray is, I mean, and I don't want to say he's the more realistic version of Edward, but he kind of is. If you were to take Edward and put him in a realistic setting, it might look like Christian Gray, except for the fact that, like I said earlier, I really feel that Edward's more of an empath than a narc, but I feel like Christian Gray's more of a narc than an empath. Yes. What do you think? I agree. Yeah? I agree. Okay. I agree. The level of, like, all this time you know, we were talking about how um, how Edward is really concerned about the long-lasting effects to her. And he really, Christian Grey really doesn't get into to have the long-running effects for her. He's all That's about true. how to win her true over story. into where he can make decisions for her yes agreed you know yeah and what's interesting to me about christian gray as a character and i can't remember any maybe you do this other woman that supposedly made him yeah well she was the abuser she's the abuser yeah um the fact there there's not a character like that for there's no woman in power or in dominance whatever you want to call it for these other male characters that we've been talking about which makes christian gray for me a little that's it Puts a spin on him that's just a little different. Yeah, for sure. Really, just quickly, I want to shout out to Washington because, <laughs> you know, Christian Gray in Seattle and, you know. I know. Bella, you know Did you ever go to, have you ever been to the Forks House? I haven't been to the Forks House, but I have been to Forks the City. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like a very, very small lumber town. Uh-huh. But then all of a sudden there'll be like these random like little stores that are set up just for Twilight fans. Yeah. Well, I've heard that the house is now a bed and breakfast. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I heard too. And, and we were talking about it the other day, and it, apparently it's crazy expensive. Oh, yeah. Because like, apparently one of one of the other teachers here has the hookup for that. Uh, oh, yeah. I, we, yeah. I remember we talked about for that. I remember yeah. Okay, so really then, I mean, it's like Edward, that's why I'm saying like Edward kind of comes across like a psycho narc, but he actually shows more promises than empath. And, you know, and I feel like the text basically spoke to that. Um, and he's also presented as a character that's capable of making choices. Right. Right. Um, well, and we really don't know with Sweet Romeo, you know, with the amount of time that passes. Yeah. Like those are really quick quick random decisions. Yes. You know, we don't we don't get to see how that plays out over a year or, or hell even over an entire week. Yeah. I mean and all we're kind of told is that basically the family fighting has ceased. Right. As a result of these deaths that have happened. Right. Um, you know, which obviously is the what makes it tragic. <laughs> right. Right. The other thing, you know, that's interesting to me if you really want to dig into to Romeo and and that whole looking out for each other and loyalties that you think about it when you read Romeo and Juliet, you don't really have team Mercu team Montague and team Capulet amongst the readers. Yeah. But when true, you know, when it comes to Bella and, and Edward and I can't think of them, Jacob and Jacob, there was definitely when those books came out, yeah. there was definitely team Edward I was and team, team Edward. Jacob. <laughs> oh. I had a t-shirt that said team Edward. I'm not going to lie. No. Oh my gosh. 
Okay. So one other thing. So we're going to talk about a couple other things. Other thing um, is point of view. So obviously, you know, I, I've talked before about how point of view is like one of my favorite things to, to do and to talk about because, and honestly, like when I read third person books, I struggle now. Like I really struggle reading third books in the third person that are very character centric because you just don't get like what, what I feel like you should get from a character when right. you're reading it. Well, you don't establish a relationship with the character. Exactly. And um, first and foremost, that's why I like the fact that both of these books are told in first person. But the, my only biggest complaint is that I wish that she would have told these books in tandem, first person, together. And I've been listening, okay, so I've been listening to a lot of little romance novels just to clear my brain after a day of teaching. Uh -huh. And a lot of them, the trend is now it is. to have it is to have a woman telling a perspective and then there's an event and then the male voice yes. takes over. And then and and I like that. very layered and I totally I appreciate it. that. I love it. And so, and, and I had recognized that trend over the last few years as well. And that's why I really wish that she would have like rewritten the whole, even if she would have taken some of it out, like rewritten it to where it was like Bella Edward, Bella Edward, mm -hmm. so that we could kind of see, you know. Well, and I didn't know, I really hadn't read back into Midnight Sun and what, what was going on there. And so for me, it's interesting, just this just it popped into my head, um, thinking about, you know, there's this expression that we're all a villain in someone else's story. So imagine for a minute that we had had Harry Potter from the point of Voldemort. Interesting. You know, what if we were telling, instead of telling Romeo and Juliet this way, what if we're telling it from the perspective, perspective of Tybalt? Yeah, That's exactly. That's a whole different ball of wax. And there's like a, um, there's a lesson that I've done with that before um, where I think it was, it's the retelling of the three little pigs, but right. it's from the wolf's perspective. Right. And so like you, you just get something very different from perspectives and, and like, and it's kind of what I was going to talk about, you know, in terms of intentions and perspectives is, you know, one of the things that I feel like I've learned is how careful I feel like I have to be when I say things, because I feel like people just misinterpret a lot yes, or misinterpret my intentions or, and so like, as an example, so like I started online dating, you know, I started this, bless your heart. <laughs> I know that you, you did do, and you've been doing it too. Um, but it's just, you know, cause like I, I want to move to Colorado. And so I already have like kind of a friendship, you know, base there and everything. And so, but you know, like I, I, I started a profile and I put on there that I live in Fort Worth, you know, but that I'm moving to Colorado soon and just looking to meet people, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So then like I, you know, I get a couple of hits as it were, <laughs> And, you know, like the couple of guys I started talking to, they were just like, oh, well, I see that, that you're still in Fort Worth. Well, why don't you hit me up when you move here? I'm like, well, you don't want to talk to me now? And well, I mean, do you know what it's like to, you know, spend weeks and weeks talking to somebody and not meeting them? And I'm like, nope, because I've never done that. And I would never do that. But I'm not asking to marry you, dude. I'm asking to have a conversation with you and keep in touch over a period of time. Let me. I'm not asking you to stop your life and put it on hold right. 
and stop talking to every other girl but me. No, I'm not asking that of you. It was just very bizarre. Well, and that's that's kind of the nature of the beast right now. But let me tell you about how I met the late Mr. Boat. So <laughs> so for those of you who know who I I'm a, don't know, I'm a widow. And uh, we actually met through mutual friends. And mm -hmm. at the time, I was going to law school in southern Illinois. Wow. And he was living outside of Seattle. So I do know what it's like to talk to someone. We probably talked on the phone, I think it was like three weeks or a month before See? I moved back to Washington. Like, what is the big deal? And what's so awesome about that is we got to know so much more about each other without all the sexual tension. I know. And there wasn't like even like any like expectation of phone sex. There wasn't any expectation of, good Lord, what happens on video? Yikes. <laughs> the things I can't unsee. Um, <laughs> You know, you really, there, there's no that expectation. And I think, you know, we were talking about people wanting to really know each other. Yeah. That we talked about earlier. Yes. It's people wanting to be really connected to each other. They're not understanding that. Then either they want you to pull on for forever or they just. I, the, uh, exactly. Or they want you for a piece of ass. It's either. Right. I want you for a piece of ass or I want you for just somebody that's there. Right. I just want for someone convenience. to occasionally text. And that's where I'm done. Like, I'm just done messing with that. I'm yeah. like, I, my boundaries are done with that. I get I get upset with it, and I try to, like, get away from it, and then time happens, and I start to get lonely. Yeah. And that's the thing that, that we have to be better about. Like, we can't fight loneliness by being with people that are not Oh, I know. Great. I know. And that's... One and, thing. And most of us have to smack into that a couple times before we realize yeah. that that's what we're doing. Yeah. And you can't help but not put a COVID layer over all of this. Oh, too. yeah, for sure. Like, you can't just go and, you know, like we talk about the meet cute, right? With Romeo and Juliet, he looks across a party at her. Who has parties anymore? <laughs> exactly. You look across Zoom. <laughs> you know, or even, yeah, nobody's attractive on Zoom. <laughs> You know, or even Bella and, you know, they're, they're looking across a classroom at each other. Yeah. You know, and hell, I have my kids sitting every other seat. The seats are taped off. They don't get to look across the classroom at each other. <laughs> yeah. She's got taped seats here, which I think is a genius idea. Um, I do not do that, but. It stops a lot of arguments. I bet it does. Um, but so like when we're talking about theme, you know, as we're kind of wrapping things up here, um, you know, obviously one of the biggest themes I feel like, I mean, obviously I feel like love is very complicated and I don't feel like it's, it's, it's very, I don't feel like it's easy. I don't feel like it's black or white. Um, but at the same time, I feel like that consuming love is not is 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 just a fantasy it is not something that's healthy it's not something that's going to last no there um, has to be for lack of better words there has to be balance in the force <laughs> like you can totally be devoted to your partner without no without knowing what they're doing every minute of every day well and on top of that like there's more to love than the feeling of it mm -hmm. i mean because you can love someone but recognize and know that they're, you know, not a good fit for you. Like you, right. you, you can have empathy for them and compassion and oh yeah, but and that goes love. back to fixing people. Exactly, but 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 also an understanding that you can't fix them. Yes. Oh my God, I've been through that. So, and it was like in the last year that I finally realized I cannot fix that person. Mm -hmm. I can't fix them. 
There's not, they have to want to fix themselves. I had to learn it's not my job. Not my job. Like I, fir- I firmly had to, like in friendships and in, yep. in and more than friendships, I had to learn, hey, this is not my job. It's not my job to necessarily watch out for someone else's, else's mental health yes. all the time. 100%. And yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think that about wraps it up um, with our discussion about Midnight Sun. And Remy, you have anything else you want to add? Not really. I'm oh, good. Okay. Well, we are going to... I'm actually going to try something a little different next month. Um, I am going to do a book next month. And I'm going to do Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. And that's kind of how he sounds like when he reads the book. I know. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. He does lots of yelling on that audible. Yeah. And, oh, I'm going to, we're going to actually be talking about that too, because um, I am going to look, because he does read the book. And so I'm going to read and listen. I'm going to do a weekly podcast next month. And um, the week of St. Patty's Day, I will be in Colorado, where I will be doing it with one of my good friends who actually went to UT. All righty. And so um, actually, I feel like during the time that McConaughey was there. Deep in the heart of Texas. All right. So we will catch you guys on the flip. Hope you guys enjoy your weekend. Peace out.